0: The Lord be with you. With your a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Here, At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did Jesus homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. The Gospel of the Lord. His classic work, The Art of War, Sun Tzu, the great general, wrote, He who enters into a battle without a plan has already lost it before he has begun. The Lord God came among us, taking on our flesh, and he came with a plan, and it was not to be lost. He came to complete and to do the Father's will. This was his nourishment, he told his disciples. Indeed, he took bread and wine, but even more, it was doing the Father's will that filled his heart. And the Father's will was this, to call everyone to himself. The Lord God knew when he created Adam and Eve that they would fall. He knew that they would need a redeemer. He knew that all humanity left to itself would desire sin more and more and more and consume itself in this more and more and more. So we set out gradually over time to bring about the redemption of the people, ultimately to bring and offer the gift of salvation. Several millennia before the coming of Christ in the flesh, God set out in a specific way to complete this task. He chose the people of Israel through one man, then his family, then a community, then an entire people, and ultimately a nation and a religion. The Jewish people, chosen by God from the first, were called to be the bearers of good news to the nations. He made great promises to them, and he made covenants with them that would draw them into the family of life, the family of God. These covenants were such that they would draw the people of Israel to the Lord, and then that they were meant to be the ones who would then take that good news, take that light, and ultimately be the ones to share it with the world. This is where we have the, the reality that we see in the in the first reading today from the prophet Isaiah, that indeed the Lord desired not just a handful of people for himself, not just a particular nation for himself, but he said he desired that his house, a house of prayer, Would be for all peoples, not just a few, but for all. Already the Lord was well at work, bringing His good news of salvation to the nations. Again, the people of Israel were invited to take part in the spreading of the good news of salvation and the the work of salvation itself, but very often they fell away. They worshipped false gods, they worshipped themselves doing their own will, saw the pleasures of the world and the flesh. And ultimately fell away from love of the Lord, but the Lord was always faithful. He gave them chance after chance after chance, calling them through the prophets, through the great leaders of the day, and various uh, at various times throughout the history of the people of Israel. And many remained close to the Lord, and ultimately many still fell away. And there came an ultimate point, the point of, of kind of integral change in the story of salvation, when Christ took flesh of the Virgin Mary. The plan was coming to its head. The people of Israel were given another chance, that for many centuries they had been preparing for the one, that they would have been preparing for the Messiah, the Savior, given signs, and here are the things that will accompany the coming of the Savior. And Jesus did all of them and more. And he did it in dramatic fashion. It was the chance for the people of Israel to come once again and to fulfill the role that they were supposed to have in the story of God. Many responded, but also many rebelled. That rebellion came in the form of the words that we speak every Good Friday, every Palm Sunday, crucify him, crucify him. The Savior of the world was crucified on the cross by those he came to show his love. But God is never outdone. And his death was his salvation. His murder was our redemption. And this is the good news that St. Paul speaks of today in our second reading. St. Paul comes and he he has this kind of weird exchange where he's rejoicing in the jealousy of his people. And he's rejoicing in the disobedience that brought about mercy. And all these things back and forth, which is simply to say that St. Paul recognized the plan of God was unfolding before the people of God's eyes, even though they might not have been aware of it. Because God's plan is never frustrating. God will always find a way to complete his will. He saw that his, his people, the Jewish people, had disobeyed the Lord, that they had fallen away from the Lord. But he rejoiced in because he said, "The people of Israel have fallen away from, the, they have rejected the Christ, so the Christ has come and shown His mercy to us. He come to shown the, 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 the mercy, as he was the apostle to the Gentiles, as he refers to himself here, to you. The Lord's mercy is made known to you. It was given to them. they declined. They had first right of refusal, if you will. and they have declined. They have not received the Christ. But you, Gentiles, have. And then he writes further. But beyond this, the plan of God is still unfolding because disobedience brought mercy to you. So now that you have received mercy, you can go back to the people of Israel and proclaim to them the mercy of God so that they might receive mercy. The ones who were supposed to be the first then become the last. But mercy is always extended as an option. In this, God shows himself in his power. As St. Paul says, God allowed all to disobey so that all might receive mercy. All of that is the background to our gospel. And it's helpful to know it and to remember it. To have in our mind constantly the, the lens of the story of salvation so that when we come to encounter certain, certain events in the life of our Lord, they make more sense. Without, that, without the background and the understanding that the Jewish people were the first ones, they were the, they, they were the ones who were supposed to have everything first and then share it with others, and there's, therefore the, the Lord has a plan. It comes to Israel first and then it goes to all the rest. Without that, it seems that our Lord is just kind of mean today. There's a woman who's not a Jew, so he ignores her and then he calls her a dog. That doesn't seem like the Christ we know, huh? But it is if we understand it in the reality of the storyline of salvation. To start, Jesus finds himself in Gentile territory, the land of Tyre and Sidon. This is a, a place that was kind of the, the bottom of the barrel, if you will. The Canaanites were the ones that, uh, that basically, if you were a Jewish person, if you were to, the rank in hierarchy, the, uh, the value of people, The Canaanites would be the bottom. They would be the the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, the ones who would be least desirable. And it's to that land that our blessed Lord goes. And it's interesting that that aside from his, his exile into Egypt as an infant, that this is the only time in the earthly life of our Lord where it's explicitly indicated in the gospel that he was in Gentile territory. He may have gone there other times. We don't know. But certainly he had other encounters with Gentile people in Jewish areas. But this is an explicitly Gentile territory. He's essentially kind of behind enemy lines. And he goes there, it's suggested, to rest. Everywhere he goes in Jerusalem and in the Jewish, the Jewish areas, the areas where the Israelites were still predominant, everywhere he went he would be accosted by the scribes and the Pharisees, questioned and challenged And all kinds of things would be would be taking place. He was accosted by great crowds of people, which happens immediately or directly before this passage and shortly after it as well, uh, that thousands upon thousands come uh, to follow after him, to request things of him. But it's suggested as as at this point of the gospel or in the second half of St. Matthew's gospel and getting near the passion of the Lord it's been suggested by many that this was a way where our Lord was kind of pulling back to a place where he would not be as frequently um, called upon. That it was a place where he would go and he would be able to, to rest with his apostles and really do the work of preparation. It was kind of like a, a pulling back to make one last push before he ultimately found his place in Jerusalem upon the cross. So it goes not just to, be, to prepare himself, but really to prepare his apostles, to prepare the disciples to get them ready for all that is to come. And so as they come into this land, seeking apparently for a time of rest, here comes the Canaanite woman, the lowest of the low, the bothersome one, the nuisance to the apostles. And she's crying out, Lord, son of David, have pity on me. We can see already a a sense of faith there. She calls upon him as Lord. She's seeking help. And our Lord says nothing. Not a word is given a response. It doesn't even indicate that he acknowledges that she is there. Nothing is said. She continues crying out, it seems, because the apostles at some point come and they are flustered by the fact that she keeps calling out after us. Apparently one time was not enough for her. Many, many times over, she probably was calling out, son of David, have pity on me. Son of David, have pity on me. And the apostles come and simply ask the Lord, Lord, do something. She's really aggravating us, the humanity of the apostles every now and then. huh? And so the Lord, looking at them, doesn't respond to the woman still. He simply responds to the apostles and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here we see the reminder that Jesus knows his plan. Jesus knows why he's there. He's not just there to to kind of wander around and help anybody and everybody. He goes first and foremost to the people of the house of Israel as the father had willed from the start. They are the first focus. And he tells this to his apostles. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He wasn't necessarily talking to her. But she hops in the conversation again. Her beloved persistence. huh? Lord, help me. One of the simplest prayers one can offer. Lord, help me. The reality is that she knows something that many other people don't, especially many people that should. She knows that Christ is her only option. She knows that he's not just the best option and that she could do something better. She could go elsewhere and have it easier. She could go and have it in a different way. It's not as if Jesus is just the quickest way to get things done. She knows that he's the only one. She's likely tried everything else. And so it's all been found wanting. And so she comes to the one man that she knows can do something about it. And so she cries out again and again and again. A great love and a great faith. In response to this great faith, our, <laughs> our blessed Lord responds with a, a rebuke. He turns into what we would perceive as not nice Jesus. It's not right for the, for, the, for the food that is to be given to the children to be tossed to the dogs instead. Who among us would receive that rebuke well? Imagine if Jesus said, essentially, you're a dog in your second class. I wouldn't respond necessarily very gracefully, I don't think. But this is what our Lord says. And it can seem kind of shocking to us. But also it's good to to recognize that very often in the Scriptures, there's something deeper that's present that either we simply can't understand because of of the, the reality of the situation of the day, or that we lose sometimes because of the reality of translation and the difficulty of translation. And we have something of the latter here. I'm not a Greek scholar, but other people are, and they write books about these things. And we can read these books, and it's a wonderful gift to us. And there was a Greek scholar who was writing and reflecting upon this particular passage. And he noted that in the original language, there were two different words that would be used for dogs. One was the street dogs, those that were out there, that were kind of the, the wandering ones that were out there just kind of scouring out, you know, scouring and finding whatever they could eat. They were a nuisance to everyone. They were the ones that probably had the mange and were just less than desirable, that you wanted just to go away, the street dogs. And then there were. As we all know, the house dogs, the wonderful little pets that we keep, that we care for, that we are mindful of. They're not as good as the children. Obviously, they're not the same as children, but we still care for them. And it's the latter that Jesus uses to refer to this woman. He doesn't refer to her just as a street dog. He refers to her as a house dog, which is better, I guess, (laughs) as much as being a dog can be called. But he refers to her as one who indeed belongs near the house, who has a place in the family, but that is not the same as the children. She herself is recognizing the story of God and knowing that God comes first to feed the children, Israel. But from the children's table, all the animals also ought to be fed. Lord, even the dogs get scraps. She herself knows the plan of God is unfolding right before her eyes. And she professes such. And the Lord sees it. The Lord knows in her heart that faith has drawn up. And she understands the way things are. She understands the things that he is saying. And why God has acted the way that it is. That he has, rather. And ultimately, he knows that she knows. One day, the house of prayer will be for all peoples. Not just for Israel. And it's in response to this, that he is willing to heal her daughter and bring about the manifestation of faith in her heart to show everyone else around her that faith is alive here. It shows the people that he has a plan, ultimately. And the plan is continuing to unfold. That faith is at work. That faith is not just something that only the apostles have, or only the Jewish people have, or only a certain group of people have. It's something that lies within the seed of which lies within every human heart. And with patience, with time, and with grace, faith can increase in every single person to bring them to the good news of salvation. And since Jesus is showing his apostles in this very instance, the one time... That he's kind of hinting at the reality that soon their mission will not just be to Israel, but will indeed be to all nations. And not to see that as a hopeless endeavor, but to see that the people of all nations do have faith and they can follow Christ if you simply are patient with them and draw the faith from their hearts. Reflecting on all these things, we see several important things for us and practice for our own lives. First and foremost, that God always has a plan. We can cooperate with it or not. We can understand it or not. But none of that necessarily is going to change the fact that God has a plan. And his plan, again, is never frustrated. There's never anything that we can do that will so uh, not up our lives that God cannot undo it. And this is a wonderful source of hope for us. That there is no distance that we can go from God that he is not able and willing to go to bring us back to himself. Indeed, he seeks the lost sheep of Israel first and foremost, but he continues to seek all of us the same. Secondly, that our relationship with Christ is not always as we would expect it to be. And this is an important thing for us. And the reality is, in the life of prayer, sometimes whenever we go to pray, we expect the Lord to respond to us. We expect something, something to happen. We expect a response. We expect a source of consolation. We expect some encouragement, maybe peace, an answer to our prayers. Oftentimes, when we come to pray, we, we do expect things. And this is certainly the case. Indeed, we should we come with faith, we believe things will take place. But the simple reality is that sometimes in the Christian life, when we go to pray, the response is silence. Often when that happens, it, it's, it's not uncommon. The Christians think that something has gone terribly wrong. When we go to pray and there is silence... When we don't hear something back, as we might have previously, sometimes people think that they have prayed wrong, or they have prayed unworthily, or that the Lord has given up on them, or they've done something so great that the Lord doesn't want to respond to them. For some reason, the Lord is mad. But this is not always the case. More often than not, the silence that happens in response to our prayers lifted up to heaven is for us to continue to manifest faith. The silence that our Lord gave here to the woman, the lack of response, he was mindful her the entire time. But the lack of response was in order to draw forth from her a profession of faith. In order to draw from her an act of faith that she was willing to take the next step, that she was willing to continue to profess belief in him and in his power. And very often the Lord invites us to the same. He invites us to pray with trust. Again it's easy sometimes to pray to pray to God as if he's a a slot machine. We'll put in the quarter that is our prayer and sometimes we sometimes we we come up empty Sometimes we get, a little, we get a little something back and sometimes you hit the jackpot and everything all the bells and whistles start going off. And the Lord answers your prayer perfectly and abundantly and over, and over and above what we could have asked. But this is not genuine prayer. The Lord desires us to come and to pray with an absolute trust in him. Regardless of what happens in the consequence. Regardless of whether there is silence or regardless of whether there is action No matter what happens in response to our prayer, it's to trust absolutely that Christ has it in control, that he is mindful of us, that his plan is continuing to unfold according to his will, not necessarily ours, for us to pray with trust because we have a reason to trust. In the gospel, the woman comes and she she lays herself out before our blessed Lord and before his apostles in an almost embarrassing manner. She's calling attention to herself. She's... Clearly, aggravating the apostles to no end. Uh, so much attention being drawn to her, at least from them, and if any other people were around, probably from them as well. But all of this, she's willing to debase herself. She's willing to be ignored. She's willing to be mocked. She's willing to be called a dog. She's willing to debase herself in front of everyone before the man that she knows can heal her daughter because she loves her. She loves her daughter. And she's willing to endure whatever needs to happen that she might be healed. And this shows us love. But even more, we see this love present also in the person of Jesus, who endured similar things that the woman endures, he endured himself. She was ignored. And the St. John's Gospel indicates in the first chapter that Jesus, who made all things, came to his own people, and they did not know him. They ignored him. They set him aside. They couldn't make sense of him. And this ultimately led to a great rejection. Our Lord refers to the woman as a house dog here, but he was referred to as much worse. His crime was ultimately blasphemy for bestowing upon himself the title Son of God and being willing to forgive sins. And ultimately, rather than just simply receiving a word of rebuke, he was rebuked ultimately in his crucifixion and his death. And all of that for love of us for love of us, the children of the Father. This was his plan, to come and to show his love for us in flesh and in blood. He came to love us even until death. And the one thing he desires in return is that love as well, for us to turn back to him and to love him. Indeed, our opening prayer talks about that reality, that, that, that for those who love him, great things are stored up, And then we further prayed in the second half of the prayer that we might love God in all things and above all things so that we might one day rejoice to behold him in the kingdom. And so as we offer this Holy Mass today, it's an opportunity to recognize that for centuries, for millennia, God has been working a plan that includes you personally. For millennia, he has been working through individuals far and near, To bring you the good news of salvation to show you that you were loved that you were sought out as one of the sheep and he desires to show you that love here especially in the Eucharist with the gift once more of himself and his flesh and all he desires is love so it's for us to return that love to recognize this gift and to give it back to him instead 'rejoicing here and now that we're able to love him with our impure hearts, but we look forward to the day where we love him perfectly, and the kingdom prepared for us.